0: Thank you. It's great to be back with you today. I do wish that Claire was uh, here with us. She and 18 other folks from Life Church headed down to um, Ensenada, Mexico on a mission trip this morning. They did leave at two in the morning. In my prayer, I said goodbye to Claire and and our oldest daughter Lauren last night, prayed with them, and my biggest hope and prayer was that they would not wake me up at two in the morning as they, and my prayers were answered. And uh, I did have some doubt as my seven-year-old Riley made it into our bed at some point after two in the morning and I awoke around five in the morning to her kicking me in the side over and over and it's amazing how powerful the kicks of a young child can be and uh so I'm glad to be here today and uh a couple of times a year at at Life Church, I give a message um really talking about, about what does it look like to be the church that God's called us to be and uh You know, I I think many of us, either in our own experience or in the experience of someone that we know, we've had some connection to someone having a bad experience in church, someone being hurt or disappointed. Have you ever known anyone that's been hurt or disappointed in a church? Uh, And I think that that the reason that that happens so often is is I believe it's because there is something inside of us that, that creates an appropriately high expectation. That there's something inside of us that, that knows that, that the church of Jesus Christ, at its very best, should be something special and beautiful and, and the most impactful force, you know, on the planet. And there's something inside of us that knows that. And so when it's something less than that, when, when, when we have this expectation that is right and appropriate and from God's word that it should be loving and that it's not, it's, it just kind of hurts us at a deep, I think in many ways it's like marriage. I think the reason that so many people come out of marriages that that go badly, that so so many people come out with such a deep, deep hurt, is because every single person that that ever gets married goes into it having an appropriately high expectation. The, this expectation that that this should be beautiful, this expectation that this should be safe, this expectation that that this is supposed to be a picture of Christ's. Love for us and so there's this appropriately high expectation and then when it comes up very very short It hurts us at this deep place and I think the same thing happens with church I I think that that people have an appropriately appropriately high expectation And and then when it's not that and when it's something not at all like that it really really hurts us And and so I want to share with you a little bit about 10 things that make a great church So if you have your bibles open up to acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2 and verse forty-two. Many times people ask me, "Well, what kind of church is Life Church?" And and really, we, we don't want to be primarily identified with uh, with any sort of, of of label, because labels can mean different things at, at different times. And, and there's there's definitely power in connecting at at a larger level, and and there's definitely good things that come out of that. But but at the end of the day, the kind of church that that I believe God's called the church to be is found in the book of Acts chapter two. And we see a few things in Acts two, 42 to 47. Let me start here. Verse 42, it says, and they, now now who is the they? Let me give you the context. What we're seeing here is this is just a very short time, probably just a few weeks after the day of Pentecost. And, And so Peter is preaching. The Holy Spirit falls in power. People are convicted at this deep place and they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so on that day, it says that 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. And so the church goes from just a couple of hundred to 3,000 plus that few hundred in a moment, in a day. And, and it says in 3,000 believed and were baptized that day. And, and so that's who this is talking about. This is this very first church, and we see a snapshot, and it says, And they devoted themselves. So, the very first thing that makes a great church is commitment. These very first followers of Jesus, they, it says, Then they devoted themselves. Following Jesus was not just an add on in their life, following Jesus wasn't just one of a handful of things. That, that they were about, but but this, that they were devoted, there was this commitment at the very core they, they understood that Jesus expects commands and demands complete and total allegiance, and, and that they remembered that, that the teachings of Jesus when he would say things like, if anyone's going to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and come after me and so there's this understanding that that Jesus isn't just one of many things that my life is to be about, but there is this complete And total devotion there is this incredible commitment to Christ and his church now many people confuse involvement with commitment and in our country about 80 percent of the people in our country claim to be some sort of Christian and so there's something like 310 million people in America 80 percent we're looking at 250 million people can you imagine if in our country there were 250 million people who really were committed to Jesus. Can you imagine if there were 250 million people who, who, who following Jesus wasn't just some sort of an add-on or I'll do it if it fits in or if it's convenient or this is one of a handful of things my life is about, but if there were 250 million people who said at the very core of who I am, I am devoted to Jesus and to history, do you think our country would look the same if there were 250? million of us committed. I'm, I'm crying about the state of our country also. Let's give it up for that baby. Let's give it up. But 250 million people who at the center of who they are say, I'm committed to Jesus. See, there's a difference between involvement and commitment. And it's no more better more well illustrated than when you're making breakfast and you're making bacon and eggs. When you're making bacon and eggs, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Some of you are gonna get that next week. And, uh, but this very first church, there was commitment. Wasn't that funny? There was, at the very first church, There was this commitment that went to the very core of who they were. This very first church, there was commitment. A great church is filled with people who are fully committed to Jesus and his kingdom and his church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. A great church has passion for the word of God. When we read about the apostles' teaching... That 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 is very clearly the word of God. As the apostles, what they were were doing, what was was many times they were they were preaching the Old Testament and pointing to Jesus, and, and they were preaching about what Jesus did and who he said and his implications for our life, and, and their teaching became our New Testament. And, and so there there's this emphasis on the word of God, and even as the as the apostles were preaching the Old Testament, they were pointing to Jesus, and, and they, they 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 went all the way back to to Adam and Eve, and and they and they said, you know that. We, we see even in the midst of the worst moment in all of human history where, where the separation between God and his creation comes into play. We even see the promise there where, where, where God says, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Speaking of Jesus coming and the bruising that he would experience on the cross, but that he would rise from the dead and crush the enemy, and then to, to Abraham, and, and the promises given to Abraham that he would be a blessing, that that would that his family would bless all nations, and that that points. To Jesus and, and then to Joseph, and how Joseph was a deliverer that God raised up to, to save his people in that moment, but that he is pointing to a greater deliverer, and that that deliverer is Jesus. And then, even one greater than, than Joseph came, Moses came and, and led the children of Israel, and the great act of deliverance in the Old Testament. And then they would preach and say, Just as that great act of deliverance has come, there's a greater Moses, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And so the apostles were preaching Jesus from the Old Testament and from the life and ministry of Jesus. And a great church is a church that's centered on the Word of God. That at the end of the day, our opinions matter less than what the Word of God has to say. And and whatever happens, whether it's with little children or with elementary age children, or with teenagers, or young adults, or senior adults, or whatever happens on Sunday morning, or in a small group at the very center of what it looks like to be a great church, comes a commitment to the Word of God. A a commitment to to learn the Word of God. A commitment to allow God through His Spirit to, to illuminate His Word in our life, and a commitment not just to know it, but to live it out. The problem with many followers of Jesus is our level of knowledge far exceeds our level of obedience. Far too many of us know a whole lot more than we live, and the problem with that is this. The problem with knowing more than you live, and then going on to continue to learn more and live no more, is all you're doing is becoming more accountable for your lack of obedience. So this very first church it's committed to the Word of God, and that's part of what makes a great church, is a commitment to the Word of God. Let's keep reading. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and then to the breaking of bread. We're going to talk in a moment about how they would actually eat meals together. But what this is actually referring to is is as a part of the meals they would share, is they would take the Lord's Supper together. They'd take communion or, or the Eucharistic feast together. And, and so what they would do is, is they would take this bread and they'd say, remember Jesus said that this bread, it's a picture of his body that he's giving for us. And they'd take some wine or some grape juice and they'd say, now remember Jesus said that this wine, it's a picture of his blood that was shed for us. And so what they were doing is they were regularly coming back to the fact that Jesus is at the center of who we are. And that apart from Jesus giving his life in our place Apart from the son of God leaving heaven and coming to earth Living a sinless life Dying in our place and being raised from the dead Apart from all of that There's nothing left I mean if none of that is true Then we are crazy for doing this every week Amen I mean if Jesus didn't die in our place Then what are we singing about? If he's still dead in a tomb in the middle of Palestine, why is that worth centering your life on? So this early church is, is week after week they come back to this core that that Jesus is the center, and the good news of Jesus is what this is all about. And so they would just remember that. And they would just they take the bread, they take the wine, and, and they remember that that Jesus has died in our place. He is the substitute our sin he has conquered death so we don't have to fear it he has conquered sin so we don't have to live in bondage to it christ is the center a church without christ at the center is really no church at all this very first church had christ at the center and a great church is one where the gospel of jesus is at the center look at verse 42 They devote themselves to apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This very first church, it was a praying church. They recognized that the implication of what Jesus had done the fact that, that, that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And that because of what he's done, that we have direct access to the Father. And, and that we don't have to go to a priest to, to take our prayers, but that we can go directly to God. And so, so they took advantage of this privilege. They recognized that, 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 that this, this direct access to the Father meant that they could go to him constantly, that they could pray to him constantly, and so they did. And, and so this very, very first church it was a praying church. When it talks about the prayers here, it, many scholars believe that, that they were actually continuing to observe the Jewish hours of prayer, but, but it wasn't just that. It wasn't just prayer at, at set periods of times, but it was this idea of, of praying without ceasing. This very first church, it was a praying church, and that's part of what it looks like to be a great church. This very first church was experiencing God's presence, and power. Look here at verse 43. It says, and awe. That word awe, the Greek word phobos, where we get our word phobia, the idea of a fear. This holy sense of fear came upon all the people. What was happening is as the people of God were gathering and they were praying and they were focusing on the good news of Jesus, that, that there was this incredible sense of God's presence that was among them, and, and that there was this sense that, that something's different. There's something different about this place and these people and, and what's happening right now, and the difference is the presence of God. Now, we know that God is everywhere, and we know that as followers of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of every single one of us, but what we're talking about here is, is this dynamic, dynamic, tangible sense of the presence of God. And that's really one of the things that I appreciate so much about not only your church, but also your movement, the, the the vineyard movement. Is that is that that's one of the things that that your church and your movement are known for. Is a is an expectation for the presence of God. And it was great even at the conference this last week, how, how there were just moments where there was just such a tangible sense of the presence of God. And that's part of what it means to to be a great church, is that it's not just this knowledge that God's everywhere, it's not just the the great promise that that the Spirit's inside of us, but that there are moments and times and seasons that are are this regular experience of the dynamic, tangible presence of God. But it wasn't just the presence of God, it was also the power of God. Let me show you this. It says, in awe, this great sense, this holy fear, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That is, uh, not only were they experiencing the presence of God, not only was there this feeling, but there was this undeniable experience of the power of God. You know, I, I grew up in some environments where people prayed for the sick, but people would have been shocked if anything happened let's pray for Aunt Sally she's got cancer and then you pray Lord heal Aunt Sally and then as soon as you say amen someone says hey you know what I'll bring potato salad to the meal after the funeral you ever been in something like that and there's kind of where there's just no expectation for for God to do really anything pastor time yesterday he said hey I'm going to be going to be doing a teaching on healing over at Grace church in the weeks to come would it be all right if i told your church about it tomorrow i said of course it would because that's part of what it means to be a great church is this experiencing god's presence but also an expectation for god to move in power and it was encouraging even this, this last week at the vineyard conference of just hearing stories after stories of, of god moving in power Around our nation and around the world That's part of what it means to be a great church Is this experiencing the present and also the power of God A great church is one where God's presence and power are regularly experienced Look at verse 44 It says, and all who believed were together There was this sense of unity, that's not one of your points though and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was this incredible generosity in this early church. And I think what they understood is something that sometimes we don't understand. Is that at the very core of the message of the gospel is the message of generosity. For God so loved the world he John 3 16. Learn your Bible. Just teasing. Um, and for God so loved the world Let's laugh together folks, joy of the Lord, come on And uh, for God so loved the world he gave And, and so this, this very, at the very root that, that we understand that, that God is the giver of all things God is the giver of life The Father gave the Son The Son gave the Spirit The Spirit has given us gifts This message of generosity right at the root Of, of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus And so they understood that and so they understood that, that that's just part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this idea of not holding on to possessions. And so that looks like this incredible sharing amongst the family of God. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, about this idea of, of the family of God. But there's this sharing that recognizes that, that we're together in this and that you're my brother and you're my sister. And so if you have a need and I have a resource, then, then I'm, I'm going to share just because that's what family does. And then also this idea of generosity, not only one to another, but also resourcing the kingdom. They, they understood this idea that, that something supernatural and kind of mystical happens when I invest in the work of God. Because what happens is, is, is when I take money, something temporary and temporal. When I take stuff, something temporary. You know, everything that we have is temporary and temporal. Have you ever been to a garage sale? Have you ever drive by and think, all of that junk, someone at one time paid for that. you ever experienced, we had a garage sale a few weeks ago, and nothing's more hurtful when you're having a garage sale is the drive by. Someone looks at your junk and says, your junk is not worth me stopping. You ever had that moment? You know, you know, we've all heard the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Sometimes one man's trash is just another man's trash. But everything ever sold at a garage sale, someone at one point bought that on purpose. Everything at every junkyard at one point was a shiny brand new car. That was, was someone's prized possession. And even the stuff that, that we're able to ho- hold on to through this life, at one point we're going to die and leave it here. Solomon talks about this. He says, oh man, you, you gather up all this wealth and, and you read your Bible, it's in here, and then you leave it to your kids and they do stupid stuff with it. That's in the Bible. That's good Bible right there. And so all of the stuff we have is temporary. But what happens when, when I take those resources and invest it in the work of God and lives are changed forever, this, this supernatural transaction occurs or something temporary now has become eternal see some of you weren't able to be at vacation Bible school because you were out of town or couldn't get off work or whatever, but that through your ongoing support of what God's doing here at the Vineyard church, even though you couldn't be here physically, you still had a part in that, and that those ch- those two hundred children that heard the good news of Jesus over and over and over again and I believe good seed was planted that's going to produce a harvest. And the reality is you were a part of that and nothing can take that away. That that you've sown eternal seed. That that something temporary has now become something eternal. These very first followers of Jesus, they understood this. They understood that, that this whole idea that the whole good news of Jesus, it all comes down to generosity, God's generosity. And he's put that heart of generosity inside of us, a great church is a generous church. I love it when people get this. Every year in the summer we do a series of movie nights at the Monte Ranch High School and we normally have six or seven hundred people that come to these events and, and we do them to build a bridge to the community that the gospel could, could go forth and every year when we do these, you know, for us to do those three events which looks like us giving a door hanger to every home in South Reno and serving hundreds and hundreds of hot dogs and cotton candy and uh, we do all, and it costs about five thousand dollars to do it and uh, there, the first year we ever did it, we really didn't have the money to do it and uh and but we just felt like God was calling us to do it we're going forth in faith and uh and we the week of our final moving out of the summer had come, and then that next sunday we we're, we're having church and, and and i don't i'm not normally involved in counting the offering for for two reasons one is i don 't want to know what everyone's giving, and second one is i don 't count very well and so uh not normally involved in counting the offering, but but someone had put an envelope in there with, with and it said Pastor Dave on it. And so someone comes and brings me an envelope, and I don't know if it's a death threat, I don't know what it is, you know. And so, uh, so I open it up and there's this note. It's from this guy in our church named Ed, who's kind of a quiet guy, and, and, and he says, I, I just want you to know how glad I am to be a part of the stuff that Life Church does in our community, like these movie nights. I'm just so glad to be a part of that. And enclosed in that envelope was a check for, for $5,000. He's not a wealthy guy. But in that moment, he, him, he got it. He, he realized, I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of making eternal impact. A- and he understood it. Let's keep reading. Acts 2, 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This early church really loved one another. And so what was happening is they would gather on on the Lord's Day, and they'd gather in the temple courts in, in a large gathering. I mean, we're talking thousands of people. And so they're gathering in this large gathering and they're worshiping Jesus and they're praying and they're hearing the good news of Jesus and and, and they're they're taking the Lord's Supper together and they're having this amazing time and they just loved being together. That they recognize that Jesus didn't just die so that I could go to heaven when I die. And that Jesus didn't just die so that my sins could be forgiven. Although those things are true and those things are awesome, but they also recognize that Jesus died to make me a part of, of a family, and they recognize that that these relationships are important, and these relationships are big, and so they so loved being together. They so loved praying together. They so loved experiencing the presence of God together. Is they said they said I can't imagine waiting till next week to do this again. Let's do this again tomorrow. Let's do it at your house tomorrow. What are you cooking? You know what I'm saying? They they just got together, and then they get together on Monday. And they'd worship Jesus and, and be taught the good news of Jesus and they'd take communion and they'd pray and they'd experience the presence of God and they just so loved being together. They said, let's do this again tomorrow. He says, they're getting together every single day. They really loved one another. Look at 1 Peter twice, it tells us to love one another deeply from the heart. One time in in, in 1 Peter 1, get this, it says, and above all, love one another deeply from the heart. You ever ask yourself, man, do I really love my brothers and sisters deeply? I mean, I think a lot of us are pretty good at the shallow love. Kind of the what's up across the church building. Hey, what's up? Maybe even have a seven-minute conversation at church. But that kind of daily, you in my life, me in your life, you come into my house, me coming to your house, you have a need, I meet it. I have a need, you meet it. That love one another deeply. First Peter 4, I believe it is, it says, and love one another deeply from the heart. And here's why, get this. Because love covers a multitude of sins. got someone that just really drives you crazy? It might be the reason is because you're not loving them deeply. Because to love them deeply is to be gracious. To love them deeply is to walk with them through a tough season. This very, very first church, they really loved one another. They, they recognized that Jesus has placed them as family together. They really loved one another. And it really doesn't matter. We see this in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. That it really doesn't matter how many other great things a church has going. It doesn't even matter with all the evidences of God's presence and God's power. And, it, and, and all, nothing, none of that stuff even counts apart from love. This very first church, they loved one another deeply. It's the mark of a great church. Look here at verse 46. It's going to be on the screen in the NIV, I think. There it is. It says, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was this authentic joy among them. There, have you ever met a Christian who just kind of with the expression on their face, you wondered if they'd been baptized in lemon juice? You know what I'm talking about? You ever just ask somebody, hey, do you you have the joy of the Lord? And they say, yes, and you say, well, when you get a chance, you might just tell your face, you know? You know know what I'm saying? There are some grumpy Christians in the world. Have have you met some of those people? And I think fewer things give as, as bad a testimony as that. But these very first Christians, they understood that they had a whole lot more to be happy about than they did to be sad about. That they, they recognized that a few weeks prior that, that they were walking as children of darkness, but that now because of what Jesus has done, they're walking as children of light. And, and they recognized that just a few weeks prior that they were spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, but that now because of what Jesus has done, they've been made alive in Christ. They recognize that just a few weeks prior that they were objects fully deserving the wrath of God. But now because of what Jesus has done, that they have been made objects of grace and love. That they recognize that that a few weeks prior that they were going through this life alone and powerless. But, but now because of what Jesus has done that he sent his spirit to live inside of them and that the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of it that's not enough to be happy about I don't have any idea what people are, are, are thinking about but it was real have you ever been around Christians where every day is the best day of the world is, is how they're acting but it just doesn't seem real I'll never forget I think I'll never forget, it's only been a few months ago I might forget First time I really got to spend time with Cindy Snyder here in your church And and her, and I'd met John Before and we'd had lunch but I'd never spent time with Cindy And she's sitting in my office And and she's telling me her her life story And and what God's done And and she's sharing About, you know, losing Two children And, And I'm hearing that And I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is about the most trial that I've ever known in a one-on-one kind of an environment. But as she's talking about it, there's this joy that's permeating. And I thought for a minute, I thought, how is this real? And then the longer I listened, I recognized this is totally real incredible trial, losing two children, about the worst thing I could imagine. I'm sitting there thinking, what what in the world would I do if, if I lost one, not, not even two, but one child? And I thought, she has got this incredible joy. She's talking about how God even has used the, those terrible experiences for her good and for his glory. And there's nothing about it that feels fake or feels like hype or feels like pretend. It just, and I thought, That's the joy of the Lord. That is recognizing that no matter what happens to me in this life, I've got a whole lot more to be happy about than I've got to be sad because of what Jesus has done in me. This very first church had this authentic joy, this joy from God. And it wasn't hype and it wasn't fake, but it was the real deal. Look at verse 47. It says, they were praising God. This very first church, it was a worshiping church. There was passionate worship. These people had their lives changed. Jesus had changed their life. Jesus had come to live inside of them in the person of his spirit. Jesus had broken the bondage of sin in their life. Jesus had broken the fear of death from their life. Jesus had given them purpose for their life. Jesus had placed them into his family and given them brothers and sisters. And they recognized that the only sane response to that is worship. Its very first church. it was a worshiping church, passionate worship, and, and that's another thing among many that I really appreciate. About your congregation and then the larger vineyard movement. Is that when, when people from the outside think about the vineyard movement? I, I think that that's one of the two or three things that comes to mind that the idea of, the, of, of an expectation of, of the presence of God, an expectation of the power of God, and then just a f- freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth. And, and that's part of what it looks like to be a great church. Here's my last point. We're done. This very first church was doing good deeds that led to goodwill that opened the door for the good news. Look here, verse 47. It says they were praising God and they were having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who who were being saved. See, this very first church re- recognized that they were not saved by their good works. They were saved by grace through faith, but that they were saved unto good works. Ephesians 2:10. Saved un- unto the good deeds, for your God's workmanship created in tri- Christ Jesus, to do these good deeds, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. So, so get this. If you're a follower of Jesus, there are specific good deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Not in order to, to earn salvation, but in response to the great gift of salvation. This very first church understood this. So they're so they're walking around as the hands and feet of Jesus. And and, and they're loving like Jesus did. And they're taking care of people like Jesus did. And there was no needy among them. And there's this incredible love that, that is leading to these good deeds. And what's happening is they're beginning to enjoy goodwill. It says they were enjoying the favor of all of the people. And so people on the outside were looking in and saying, like, there's something different about these people and, and that they love in a supernatural kind of way. They don't just love people that love them first, but, but they love people that don't love them first. And they take care of one another and they help one another and, and they, they're doing these things. They're, they're helping people that can't help them back. And what's happening is people are saying, well, what's up with that? There's something different about these people and they begin to enjoy the favor of all of the people. Something I tell our church a few times a year is I say my great desire is that we would so love our community, that we would so serve our city, that we would so be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this place. that that when God raptures us out of here and we're gone, that our neighborhood would cry. That they'd say, man, those people, they're gone. Those people that that loved us, expecting nothing back, those people are gone. Those people that, that served us, expecting nothing back, those people are gone those people that, that prayed for us when, when things were rough, those people that, that when a house burned down came and helped those people are gone. And our neighborhood's not going to be near what it was with them there. I believe that's what it looks like to enjoy the favor of, of, of the people, that, that people look and say there's something different about those people, but that, that good, good deeds that leads to goodwill, which opens the door for the good news. That's, let me show you this. Look at verse 47. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This early church, it was a growing church. As as they are are doing these good deeds, which God's prepared in advance for them to do, they're experiencing this goodwill, which is opening the door for the good news. Have you ever just loved someone like Jesus would love them and then people say, why are you doing this? Have you ever had that experience? And then you say, well, it's funny you should ask. Let me tell you. There's a man named Jesus who loves you a whole lot more than I do. He loves you so much he died on the cross for your sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. See, this good deeds leads to goodwill, opens the door for good news. And what's happening in this early church is every single day, there's someone else that's saying, if God's done that in you, then he can do that in me. Or what happened to you? Tell me, why do you love like this? Tell me. And and so every single day, someone else is giving their life to Christ. We read a few chapters later, and it says, and there's been another 2,000 people come to Christ. A few chapters after that, it says, and more than ever, people were coming to Christ. Here's the thing, healthy things grow. Sometimes people say, Man, I just want a church where everyone's mature. First of all, that never ever happens. But, but, if, it, but if it did, that's not a good thing. Because here's the truth. Maturity breeds immaturity. Because maturity reproduces. And so in a church where everyone's mature... It means that there's no babies, spiritual babies being born. And so that means that that maturity, it doesn't, it's maturity without any immaturity, without any newness, without any spiritual babies being born. But that's not the goal. The goal is that that, that there would be that that, that maturity, the sign of maturity is, is reproduction and that there's spiritual babies being born that are taking next steps with Jesus and taking next steps with Jesus and then they grow up and then, they reproduce and then other people taking next steps with Jesus and next steps with Jesus. See, maturity breeds immaturity and we see that here. It says that and every day the Lord was adding to their number daily. A great church is one that, that, that does good deeds that opens the door for a good that, that leads to goodwill which opens the door for the good news of Jesus. That, that's why at Life Church we do community events. That's why we've adopted a two-mile square downtown. That's why you've got a team going to Burning Man. That's why you've got teams at Earth Day. That's why you've got teams that have adopted elementary schools. And that, and that in, in doing these things, and being the hands and feet of Jesus, that we might build bridges that the good news of Jesus would walk across, and that lives would be changed forever. So here's the bottom line. My hope and my prayer and my belief is that what God's doing right now is that he's taking one really, really good church and another really, really good church and coming together and that by his spirit that over the days to come, he might turn us into one really, really great church. Church for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. You know, I think a question that always has to be asked when you talk about the nature of God's church and who we're supposed to be as, as a corporate together. I think a question that always has to be asked is if every single person in this church was like you, what kind of church would this be? If every single person in this church prayed like you pray, would revival break out? Or would something less occur? If every single person in this church loved like you love, would this church be known as a church that loves one another deeply or something less? If every single person in this church showed generosity the way you do, if every single person in this church was hungry for the presence and power of God like you are, if every single person in this church was fulfilling the destiny that God had given them, those good deeds prepared in advance, if every single person did it like you Would this city be changed or would it be something less? You might even, in the quietness of your heart, just ask the Lord to show you the areas that He wants to grow you in. So, Lord, we recognize. Lord, that only you can build a great church. And Lord, it's your spirit who makes us like Jesus. Lord, it's your spirit who changes lives. So God, I pray that there'd be something inside of us. A holy resolve. That, that, that would afresh, whether, whether we've been following you for one week or 50 years, that there'd be, be a fresh resolve in our hearts that, that recognizes that, that your church is a special thing and that she is to be beautiful and that she should be the greatest source of hope on this planet and that she should be the greatest source of good on this planet. And that there'd be a holy resolve inside of us that says that that we're not willing to be anything less than who you've called us to be. We wouldn't be satisfied with anything less. So Lord, it's our prayer that your kingdom would come. Lord, and your will would be done. Lord, in our hearts, in our church, and in Reno, as it is in heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.